Thanks for joining us today. I'm Tim. I'm an alcoholic. And I'm Rusty, and I'm an alcoholic, and this is Children of Chaos. Good morning, Rusty. Good morning. Good morning to our guests, too. Uh, why don't we go ahead and introduce them, Tim? Go right ahead. Well, we have Mr. Jim over here on the opposite side of me, and we have Mr. Wayne to the right of me. We've been together for a long time, most of us here sitting at the table. So when I asked these guys to come on, on board today, um, spirituality is, I find, is, is really a much larger conversation than what I thought in the beginning. And uh, because I've been around in uh, recovery for many years, but, uh, and we, you, we use that word spirituality all the time. But do we really know what, what does it mean for me individually? And that's what I'd like the conversation to be about today. I did have one thing that I wanted to read because I couldn't memorize it. And this is just one definition for spirituality. It's just one. And because when I went online, there is, man, I can't tell you how many there is. But anyway, it says, Spirituality, the quality of being concerned with the human spirit or soul as opposed to material or physical things. The shift in priorities allows us to embrace spirituality in a more profound way. And also the word spirituality comes from Latin spiritus, which literally means breath signifying life. The most important thing we have is the gift of life. So spirituality just encompasses a lot of different areas. In fact, it encompasses my whole life. It's funny because I was reading about spirituality and another thing that I want to talk about later. Mm -hmm. And I asked Google AI to give me a cross-section of definitions of spirituality. Oh, that's cool. This is what it came up with. Spirituality is more of an individual practice mm -hmm. that involves developing beliefs about the meaning of life and connections to others. So it's like literally pulled part of what you just read right. out and into this mm -hmm. and taken other things. But I think what I would like us to do today is to talk about what was my faith or spirituality like before I entered a recovery program? Mm -hmm. How did recovery impact my belief system? Or did it? Maybe it had no impact. Mm -hmm. And then finally, what is my conception of my higher power or my conception of my spirituality like now? And I know for me, those are three distinct topics as I go through. Okay. Yeah, sounds and great. As, as my good friend Jim says, what I was like before, what happened to me, and what I am like now. Wayne, would you start us off on what it was like for you prior to coming to recovery. I'm Wayne, I'm an alcoholic. I, um, I don't think I r really understood very much about it at all in terms of having any kind of 
real awareness. I had a feeling that I was going to be okay. There was a part of me that loved the connection uh, to people in life, but I, you know, I was not connected uh, much more than just a kind of a little bit of an attitude. Uh, when I was and when I was before, when I was drinking, that connection uh, was not very deep uh, with people, and I did. I was. I felt connected to others. Uh, but, uh, you know, some of them died, some of them went away, some of them got sober, and I haven't maintained a relationship with hardly any of those people anymore. So I don't feel like I would, there wasn't, it was a younger connection. The other thing about spirituality when I was drinking is I didn't think about it because I had it confused. Uh, I didn't, I thought spirituality had something to do with religion. And so, that was the paradoxes. I felt connected, but I didn't want to be connected in that way. So there was a confusion. But through all that, I was curious, very curious about that. Uh, so that's what it was like until I got into to the rooms. And I didn't get in the rooms till I was 46. So, uh, and I had a lot of, as I've heard discussed before, I had a, when I, sobered up was just the start of this uh, expansive uh, study of, of this stuff. And I didn't even know I was going to be expansively studying it. It just became what over time uh, and the people I was attracted to. What recovery program did you start into originally? Originally I went to a program uh, my sister was going to go to and it was, a, it was an overeaters program. She wanted me to go with her, and uh, I had fought, you know, the weight for years and off and on. And I was still drinking, and uh, life was pretty complicated in, at that time for me uh, in my second marriage. Uh, but I went with her, uh, and I didn't understand much at, at all about it. Um, so it, I just went in there. I kept drinking. I thought, this is great. I just quit eating as much. So I did lose weight. And I thought, well, I think I've got this. I kind of like this deal. But when I stayed, stuck around and what I, and I wanted what those people had, but I didn't really understand that. It was primarily women and there was a lot of, uh, a lot of fear and anxiety and uh, things that I've come to know why those things were happening because to a lot of those women but I went with the hat, and that's where I actually met the gentleman who was in that program that uh, led me into AA. What about you, Jim? Thanks, Tim. I'm Jim. I'm an alcoholic. Um, I didn't know anything about spirituality when I got here. I I just kind of conflated it with religion, like Wayne said. You know, they were kind of all this this area of that people did as part of their lives, but it didn't make much sense to me. Um, I didn't know, I, I didn't know what I was supposed to get as a kid when my parents took me to vacation Bible school and I'm hearing these stories that literally to me sounded like just a different version of a Santa Claus story. Mm. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't see how it was, it really applied um, so much. And, and I didn't believe it. I just, you know, all of the 
the things that we teach children in a religious setting um, sounded made up and stupid, and I just didn't get it. So I went all of my childhood without any any real desire to even try to connect to that. And it was probably in college or sometime around, you know, my around 20 years old, I started to, you know, I, that was the 70s, and I was um, swept up with the movements of the time, and I was, um, you know, there were gurus around, and there were people, you know, that, um, and the Beatles, and, you know, and everybody's mm-hmm. talking about stuff that did did uh, appeal to me. Mm-hmm. But, and it was, and I began to, be, began to see a split between religion and spirituality, and that's when I started to think, well, you know, maybe there is something that I could latch onto that gives some purpose or meaning um, to life. And then I would go smoke another joint and it wouldn't matter anymore. You know? <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> you know, and I heard, and, and that, was, that was just kind of the uh, regular uh, pattern. And I'd get little glimpses and I'd be, I'd, my interest would peak briefly and I'd, and I'd be overcome with some sort of emotion or, you know, something would well up in me that would make me want that. But then I would go drink a beer or smoke another joint or whatever. And, you know, it was just kind of all faded away. So it was a lot of up and down. And it was when I finally got to recovery that I began to hear people who sounded like me talking about um, something that they had found as a way to get out of that horribleness of, of our uh, disease, you know. When you refer to the make-believe or the Santa Claus in the sky, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Michael likes to call it the Sky Daddy. Sky Daddy. Would you say that you were agnostic or atheist? You didn't believe or... How would you describe? Yeah, I don't know if I would even be able to put a label on it like that. I, it was, I guess, if I, in retrospect, it was probably more atheist leaning than agnostic. My understanding of agnostic being that um, is questioning, doubtful, but not necessarily state making a statement that there is no God. Atheism to me is I'm atheistic. And whereas agnostic is I'm, I'm on the fence, you know, I don't care. I'm ambivalent. That's really the parallel word to that. Thanks. What about you, Rusty? You know, Tim, uh, it's funny how all of us are different. As I sit here listening to Jim and Wayne, our stories are a, a little bit different. I came out of a... Uh, the alcoholic home I came out of, we had times when we were in the church. People, we would all, my mom and, and my stepdad would quit drinking, and then we would, we would, everybody, she would bundle up everybody, and we'd start going to church, and then we would go down and we'd do altar call, and you'd get up and stand up and tell everybody what your sins were, and and then you went back and sat in your pew, and that was that was pretty much it. And then when when and they would roll along there maybe six or eight months or I don't know, 
uh, as a kid, you don't really realize time so much, but then it, usually he would fall off the wagon and then it was total chaos for years on end and then we'd go back. So I, but for me, uh, as a child, you know, when you're growing up and you're six, eight, 10, 12 years old and you're taking all this in, this is the gospel. I mean, I I took that in, I and I was highly sensitive, as most alcoholics are, I find out. But at that time, I just you don't even think about stuff like that. I just knew that I was I felt strongly about these things. Uh, it's like when I would go to um, Wednesday night prayer meeting or something, and man, I was always the first one to cry. I was always the first one to go down the altar and. You know, all that. And so as I grew older, as I got into my teen years, that I just couldn't, I just couldn't buy it. It was all about the church that I was attending. And the, it was either you're going to heaven and you're going to do this stuff or you're going to hell. So, I mean, when I started doing the things that I was doing at 15 and 16 and hell, I was doing them down at church camp that, that you know, I, it was just part of who I was. And that's when the real shame and guilt started in on me at that age. And, of course, I quit going to church at all, but I still had these strong feelings about God, and more particularly, I think the saving grace for me, really, as I look back on it over all these years, was that I did have a belief in Jesus and His teachings. But the rest of it, I just couldn't buy it. I, I couldn't buy it. So when I got to AA, I mean, I would, I would sit on the couch. I can remember this. I would sit on the couch on Sunday morning, just hung over like a dog. And I'd be listening to some preacher. And I'd be crying. I mean, now, is that crazy or what? I mean, that's ins that is insanity. You, and you talk about conflicted and guilt and shame, all of that. So when I come into AA, that's where I'm at with God. That's very strong. Yeah. That's where it was. That was it. What about you, Tim? I, I like the way you can express that. For me, I, I like to say that I've always been a person of faith, but I never had a relationship with higher power. I started off in one Christian church, um, the Presbyterian church, and my parents moved from that church because the church had become too big. That particular church of the Presbyterian mm -hmm. denomination. We were going to it when it was housed in a school building, and then they built this new huge church, and when they got there, the feeling wasn't the same for my parents. Mm -hmm. So they left that one and went to another Presbyterian church. Then when it became time for me to go to middle school, my mother decided to send me to a Catholic college preparatory school. And 
that really didn't make sense to me. If we're a Presbyterian, why are you sending me to a Catholic school? I discovered later in my belief, it may not have been her intent, if I was going to this Catholic school, it elevated her social status Mm -hmm. because of what it cost. Mm -hmm. And I absolutely hated that school. Uh, It was too strict. The discipline was absolutely incredible. And I tried to get myself kicked out for three years. I heard nothing, nothing about Catholicism or faith. My ears were closed. After my freshman year, we got a letter that said, your son is not invited back. Hallelujah. Mm -hmm. I'm free. If I went to Tulsa Public Schools, or if I went to a public school, I was going to have to go back and repeat ninth grade. There's another Catholic high school in town that said if I went to summer school and took two classes in summer school, they would take me as a sophomore. So that's what happened. And it detracted from mom's social status a little bit because that school didn't cost as much as the first one. And in that social aspect, you know, there are tears, I guess you would say. Anyway, I got to that one and I started listening. I loved that school and I started listening. When I say listening, I mean listening to the message that was being delivered Mm -hmm. regarding Catholicism. Mm -hmm. Before I got married, I converted to Catholicism and um, we started going to uh, a particular parish and we had a child Then we had another child. When it came time for the first child to go to uh, first grade, no, to kindergarten, I'm sorry, we were actually put on a waiting list for entry behind non-parishioners. And I thought, how can this be? We're, you know, a member of this church community, this parish, and we're on the waiting list behind non-parishioners, people that don't even go to church here. And I talked to the principal of the school, and he says, obviously this is indicative of your contribution to the parish. (laughs) I was hot. And I called uh, the parish priest, and he said, don't worry about it. You're going to get in. And two days before school started, the principal called and said, we have a spot for your daughter. You have an hour to decide. Gee, thanks. I was ready to say yes right then, but I thought, I need to call my wife. I did. My daughter went there. All three kids went there. But we became, our financial contribution was not that much. We didn't have that much, but we decided to be of service. We became, we decided to be part of the home and school board. 
And when we volunteered, they said, we want you to be president. No one wants to be president because you get killed in that position. So we did. And then we started becoming liturgical readers later. But there was just never a connection or a relationship to my higher power, who I call God. It just wasn't there. What was there, or what was apparent to me, is what Richard Rohr calls churchiness. And he says, there is such a universal disillusionment with churchiness, which is the building and maintenance of churches and services. We've overplayed the church card for much of the last thousand years. It's like the messenger overtook the message. Once we divided Christianity into Catholic, Orthodox, and Protestant, all of the individual churches had to prove that they were one true church. And this is from a Franciscan priest. And so I never thought about that in that aspect until in our book study we were reading Roar. I just knew I could never capture a connection or a feeling that I really belong. That's where I was before I came into recovery. So let's go on and talk about how did recovery impact your belief system, or did it? How about you, Jim? When I got to recover, well, I don't know if I can, if it's that linear. <laughs> it's kind of a, so toward the end of my drinking, I was really, Searching, I was kind of like Stephanie talked about this morning in the meeting about um, trying to hide from my alcoholism and trying to be. I, I tried to do. I tried lots of different things: going to a church, um, reading a lot, you know, talking to people, belonging to men's groups where we talked about spirituality. Um, I did a lot of that right toward the end of my drinking and then early in my, after, after I stopped drinking. And so I kind of had, I was sort of on a track to, of contemplation, um, you know, self-exploration um, at that point. And so when I walked in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and began to hear people talk about their own spirituality um, and actually, before I walked into AA, I, I went to a treatment center and got introduced to AA, and it was there that some foundational principles were kind of laid out. And so I, I like to think that I, you know, I got an education when I went to treatment, but that's not where I got sober. Um, I got sober in AA. So, but, but in AA, the people were talking about things that I had heard about, I'd experienced myself through my own efforts, and then I were reinforced in treatment. And then in AA, I got uh, connected with people who, who unashamedly talked about their own journeys and their own beliefs in a higher power. And, um, and the fact for them was that it was the reliance on that is, is what helped them have something that they could give over their powerlessness to. And um, well, you know, I. I liked the sound of that, and I believed a lot of it. Or I, I think in retrospect, I more wanted to believe it than I actually believed it, because I was still 
I was carrying a lot of that Santa Claus God stuff with me from childhood. And, um, you know, Rusty, you talked about the altar calls and the, and all that. And I witnessed a lot of that stuff, too. I never once went down to the front because I didn't know what they were saying. They were just whispering in, in, <laughs> in, the, in the guy's ear. And, you know, it was a mystery to me. I didn't know what. So what are you supposed to do if you go down there? Mm-hmm. So, so coming back to it, I, you know, coming back to the... Um, what 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 happened? You know, the transition for me was a period where um, I was seeing things that looked attractive. I didn't necessarily buy in, and I have spent the last you know for the majority of the time that I've been in recovery, still on that fence, still on that bouncing back and forth between I want to believe that, but I don't. It sounds good, but I can find all kinds of arguments against it. And I just, I go back and forth and back and forth. But there was a point where I decided that it's working for other people. Maybe I'm not so smart. Maybe I'm, you know, smart enough to pay attention and, and go along and and do the best I can and do what people um, say, uh, you know, fake it till you make it and so I just tried that and it wasn't that long I don't know how long a year or two maybe where I I stopped worrying so much about it I just didn't think too much about it I felt like I needed to to uh, do something that was making giving me that connection with a higher spirit or my own spirit um, and I was beginning to feel a connection with other people in that we all had a spirit and it was kind of a universal sort of a thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that began to make more sense to me. So anyway, I, I guess I latched onto that. And in any case, all of those, all that convoluted effort, through all of that convoluted effort, I didn't drink for a long time. Um, today it's been over 31 years, I think, 32, I don't remember, but, um, so now I've lost my train of thought again. I wandered off track and, well, speaking of wandering off the track, (laughs) is that what they call a segue? Yeah. Oh, Oh, okay. Uh, don't say fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Let me start again. I'm here with just Tim and Rusty this morning. Because <laughs> I want Billy to listen to us okay. when he tunes in. Um, I get it. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I got to back up just a little bit because when I was kind of started off, Wayne, uh, what I realized is that when I got in the rooms of AA, uh, particularly, uh, yeah, in the rooms of AA, uh, was just the start of to unwind that. I never believed that uh, uh, that there was a space daddy. I never believed that there was a, uh, Santa Claus in the sky. Uh, mine was a God that smote you, man. This, you know, it was serious stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. and I was raised, and I'll back up on that part of it, in a very, very small fundamentalist uh, church called Plymouth Brethren. Uh, they were Northerners, and uh, so my dad had moved down here to take a position in the industry he was in, and of course my mom followed. They didn't have any kids. That was 1937, and then they 
they, as was customary, uh, moved all the relatives down that were on my, you know, they brought my grandma down and my dad, you know, grandma, they were Canadian. Uh, and uh, my mom was from Duluth. And so was as they came down uh, and started to grow the family here in Tulsa, uh, I was born in 45. So I had a sister born in 41 and there were four of us. And it was a small, small, uh, my dad had bought a house for my grandma. So the, the service was at my grandma's house. And I've said it before, but it's when Aunt Jenny, Jenny Tozer from Canada, who's a widower at the time, had moved down here. When she could get out of bed with her arthritis, there was eight of us. So four kids, my mom and dad, grandma and Aunt Jenny. So that was the whole congregation. So I didn't, I didn't have wiggle room there. You know, I didn't really, we didn't have altar calls because you sat on the couch. Uh, when you broke bread, it was an unsliced hamburger bun and some Mogan David wine. <laughs> Uh, a little bit of wine. They did have the real thing on the table. Mm -hmm. And uh, that may started my overeating because I remember sneaking in and getting a bite of that after they threw that the sacred host into the trash. I remember grabbing some, boy, that was the best bread. <laughs> mom, mom didn't buy that. Mom didn't bring that bread home oh, from, from the Safeway <laughs> or Pool's Market or wherever it was. <laughs> she was, okay, so... Um, Wander back in. Okay, now I'm, I'm coming back. I'm, 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 I got two wheels on the road. I can see you yeah, yeah, on the horizon. Yeah, yeah I'm, coming, I'm coming back. So anyway, so it, it really was, I was, I, was, I, was af I was afraid of God. I was, uh, you know, it was not a, it was black and white, period. There wasn't a lot of people. And the remember, what I remember the altar calls were like at the church uh, when they would have these uh, uh, summer conferences church conferences they called and you'd ride up to Iowa in a un, no air conditioned old uh, 53 Buick with Dynaflow I remember just so clearly <laughs> on the side it said Dynaflow <laughs> you know no air conditioning and uh, my sisters wanted to leave the windows up so that people thought we had money and that we had air conditioning <laughs> so it was all those are all the memories so I, I had three sisters and uh, they all had shared one room together I had a little room and uh, it was just different. I, I was, mm -hmm. it, what saved me was the neighborhood, the neighborhood kids. We had the Catholic on the one side and the Unitarian at the end, mm -hmm. you know, and the Methodist. And then the atheist was the scientist that, you know, that, that lived down two, two doors down. And then there's old Gary Stern. And boy, he was just, he was just mean. And I don't know what they believe, but uh, so. That was, but I loved that. I would, I would run out because it was something different. I could go, be myself and play. How that ties into spirituality was. That's when I started to find the connection, because up until then, we were. It was such a protected community. We didn't have friends, and we would have the people come in town. They call them laboring brethren. They'd roll in in those old black forties that looked like mafia cars, mm -hmm. and then they'd have the, the evangelical things and at the house. And uh, they'd each out a house and home, and Dad gave them whatever little money he had left over, and then they'd leave again, and then until the next group came. But they had these big felt boards, black felt boards, and on those felt boards they would have here's here's the angels, and here's this big heart, and it's been cut in two, 
and Jesus is going to come into your heart. And that just scared me to death. I mean, how? I was a little kid. I'm, how is how is this big guy going to climb in my heart? You know. So that 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 fear, and honestly, that fear has, mm-hmm. I think, finally got over that. Uh, probably in my sixties. I mean, completely gone. So I went the other way. I don't think I was ever an atheist. I wanted to be. I aspired to be an atheist, but I just had too much stuff I believed in to, mm-hmm. to do that. So I never could be good enough to be an atheist. <laughs> Jim, I wanted to join you. But I did go to, when I did get in service, prior to even stopping drinking, uh, after the first marriage ended, uh, I, I started going to All Souls, I guess I can say the church, uh, Unitarian Church here in town, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Because the message was, um, it was acceptance, it was inclusive, it was, uh, in fact, one of the ministers there before, a gentleman named Wolf, who was the original guy, I guess, a uh, uh, guy named Brent, he, he, he officiated at the wedding. He was a godfather to one of my, our kids a little bit. It was, I was connected to that because I felt included, I felt part of I love the services, and that was that was a respite for me. But at some point, uh, I didn't get the spirituality I needed in the message uh, from that. So, so that that just brings it back to that in recovery. That's what I, when I say I started. That's exactly where I started to find the connection, find the people like me to have it come back to center where I can be a part of the whole circle. Because somehow I still would isolate my head when I'd hear that. It's like, click, click. I just shut it off and I was missing, I, w- I was missing so much of the story because I was just not in a place to do that. Wayne, how has recovery impacted your beliefs? Uh, everything. Because it's uh, it's not a static proposition. It's not like I've done one, two, three, four, like the steps. If I want to look at it as a 12-step program, uh, which are important, but it's just been the flow. Uh, so my belief to, today on that is that I get to do this, that I get to grow and expand. And and I, I, I don't know if this ties in or if this is the last part of <laughs> what, but... This week, <laughs> there was a solution. It's one of the chapters uh, in the first 164. And a friend of mine was, was leading that. When he got to, it was something, because he's, he, he, he studies stuff as well. And he had gone through the big book and looked up every, uh, every time spirituality is mentioned in that first, and, you know, and... and it's amazing. He came up with, I think, like 90, over 90 references that Bill came up with on spirituality. And most of them, uh, the, uh, a majority, at least half of them, were in the agnostic chapters. I think there was 37 or something references just in that chapter. And was he, as he would read and then expound on it, you know, that's when I thought, I get to do this. Here I am, I've been in the rooms for coming up 33 years, and I'm hearing stuff that I didn't know before. 
And I couldn't keep up with it, and I was trying to do the pages, and I thought, no, I'm, I can't listen to this guy and try to do that. Mm -hmm. So I just need to listen and remember that. Anyway, so how has it changed? Well, it's changed everything, because I won't be the same tomorrow on my spiritual uh, journey because of this meeting and because of what I heard this morning and because mm -hmm. just life. And I heard, we read that in a, a book, and I just got tremors. I mean, just like shakes. On Wednesday night when we were reading about the 11th step in Breathing Underwater, and it said, God shows up disguised as your life. That's mm -hmm. it. That's kind of, that's what it's like for me today. Mm -hmm. When I'm trying to define it or say what it is, mm -hmm. I get lost in it, and I really do get off the rails. So that's how it, my, that's how it shows up for me today. Thanks, Wayne. What about you, Rusty? How has recovery impacted your belief system? You know, uh, ditto from what Wayne said. Uh, every day is is different. You know, my concept of what a higher power is, or God, or what whatever you may want to call it, it changes almost daily in some way, in some form depending on the people that I interact with, the people that, that are closest to me. When I got here, and when anybody gets here, I think that we all come in here at different levels of consciousness. In fact, I know we do. There's some that I've watched over the years that I've been here, and they don't have, they don't have the issues that I've had, especially with, with, with God. In fact, I almost envy them. You know, this guy that is just dead sure what God is and he's going to heaven or what or whatever his whatever it may be. I've never had that. I don't have it today. It's still a mystery to me. It's still a mystery. I do love that saying, you know, you don't sober up Adolf Hitler and get Oral Roberts. You know, just because we we put the plug in the jug as they say, doesn't mean that all my belief systems and everything is left out there. I bring every one of them right in here. In, in fact, in spades, because I, don't, I didn't have the alcohol then. I didn't have the Valium. See, Valium was a huge thing, and, and we, need to, we need to hear that. How, how can you have a conscious contact with the God of your understanding when you're taking alcohol into your body and Valium every day? There's no way in hell that's going to happen. I mean, there just isn't. So what happened for me is that not my first, my first sponsor took me through the steps the first year. And I started growing. In fact, I thought, you know, he was, I want to say he was stuck. This is where his comfort zone was in that book. And I got another sponsor, and this guy introduced me to... The Power of Constructive Thinking by Emmett Fox and Sermon on the Mount by Emmett Fox, which is metaphysical. And that set me on a totally new path. And it has taken me down a path over the past 40 years. And I've, you know, right now Richard Rohr is big in my life because I've read just about every book of his. I love this guy. If it wasn't for the belief system, I'd probably become a Catholic. <laughs> but, but I can't buy it all. I can't buy all of it. So that's how it has changed for me over the years. And I think about my mom a lot because she she was that devout Christian 
till she left the planet. She and I, to be honest with you, we didn't get along real well once I got sober because I started changing. I can remember we had a, I was angry at her because she had, she lived on Social Security. And when Oral Roberts came out with, God's going to call him to heaven if he don't finish that last three miles up in the sky. I don't know, whatever it was. And I remember her giving him $100, that woman. And man, that just, it just infuriated me that here's this gal giving that money. And hell, she's probably only getting six or $700 a month at most. So we never really got along because I had these new things that I, and I love recovery. I love sitting in the meetings because I hear it from Wayne, Jim, and I might, you look over here and there might be a newcomer that says something that just blows me away. So Alcoholics Anonymous changed. I, I can't tell you how it's changed. I get emotional just thinking about it, what it's done for me, the freedom that I have. One last thing, I was driving to uh, my morning meeting. I've got NPR on, and they've got that gal that she's always with the monkeys and all that. What's, what's her name? Jane Goodall. Yeah, Jane Goodall. They've got her on, and they're interviewing her, and she's, of course, in her 80s. And they said, well, Jane, you've had all these adventures that you've done. You've done just about everything. What's your next great adventure? And she said, death. Mm-hmm. She said, I've had two or three glimpses of it on the other side. And she said, I can't wait. And I could believe, I believed this woman. I believed her. That's awesome. You know, when I got here to recovery, I was broken. I I think I literally did the first step without knowing I was doing the first step the day I went to detox. I knew that I couldn't continue to live with alcohol, but I did not know how I was going to live without it but I knew that my life had become unmanageable. And that's, that's the easy way of putting the emotions that were going through the mind at that moment in time that I made that decision. But in detox, once I started defogging a little bit, I decided that I was going to come into this program, and I call it with a blank sheet of paper, and do exactly what I was told to do. Mm-hmm. Because everything I had tried hadn't worked. And I hadn't tried much. I thought about trying a lot of stuff. I never did until I gave up. And when I walked into this morning meeting, the first thing I saw was a person that I'd known at that point for about 50 years of my life. And I didn't want to see that person there. I mean, this person drank with my parents. Anyway, he became my sponsor that very first day I walked into that meeting. And so I would, I am not a person that likes to talk on the phone. I'm a texter. And so at the end of that day, I had texted him and I said, it's been a good day. I've gone to three meetings. Uh, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm looking for tomorrow, looking forward to tomorrow. And as I'm sitting there looking at my phone, this text comes back that says, thank God for keeping you sober today. And I thought, hmm. The next day, at the end of the day, I texted him, said basically the same thing. It's been a pretty good day. I've gone to several meetings, looking forward to tomorrow. I wasn't overly committal yet, and the text came back, thank God for keeping us sober today. And I was sensing a trend. 
you know, it, it made me think back that there's been a place for God, my higher power in my life, but there's never been a relationship. And I got to the point in my faith that I put God on the shelf and every once in a while I would take him down and dust him off and put him back on the shelf. And the next thing that happened was, you know, my sponsor told me to buy a big book, buy a 12 Steps and 12 Traditions. And he wanted me to read The Doctor's Opinion, Bill's Story, There is a Solution, More About Alcoholism, and We Agnostics. And I did. And as Wayne was mentioning earlier, in the chapter We Agnostics, the word spirituality is mentioned a million times or so it seems. But what I got out of Bill's story and We Agnostics was that I can choose my own conception of a higher power Mm -hmm. and that it didn't have to conform to the Catholic Church or the Presbyterian Church or anybody else's church or anybody else. And I kept hearing that as we go through all these readings and it started to make sense that I can have a relationship An event happened that I experienced what one would call a psychic change or a spiritual experience or whatever you want to call it. It changed my way of thinking to where my first thought when trouble arose was not taking a drink, that I could do something else. And that changed everything. So as I have continued in recovery, I've expanded my conception. I have an evening reflection, but it's it's a thanksgiving prayer for every aspect of my life. And it includes my conception of my higher power. And that changes. Sometimes it changes day to day, and sometimes it's static for a while, and that's okay. But my conception of my higher power is such that as our indigenous people or our Native Americans would call it would be the great spirit or the spirit of the universe. That my higher power is everywhere, in everything and in everybody. So I I call my higher power God, but it's also the spiritual, the spirit of the universe or the creator or a higher power. It doesn't matter what the name is, but I'm able to accept the fact that this higher power in my perceptions and in my conception is unique to me. It's not the same as Rusty's or Wayne's or Jim's or anybody else's. And even if your conception of a higher power is 100% different than me, that's okay, that I can accept that. You know, now I consider myself to be spiritual but not religious. I don't consider organized religion to be the only way or the most important way to grow spiritually. My beliefs are very sound, but they change. As I change, as I learn, as I grow, that's where I am today. Yeah, I think you've just described what a lot of us eventually come to or some similar, something similar where it's just not, it's no longer important for me to define it. It's no longer important for me to categorize it, put a name on it. Or anything like that because all of the efforts along those lines are when you boil them down they're about trying to convince others they're about trying to make it fit into the rest of the world and that's not important uh, what's important is that I find comfort in 
I have a sense of peace and um, connection to that for myself. And it doesn't matter whether you agree with me or don't agree with me. I'm perfectly fine. And I can be uh, all of the things that I want to be in terms of being a, a better human, be compassionate, be caring. I can spend efforts, you know, trying to help others. All the stuff without uh, having to put it in this box. When you were talking there, Jim, that's what I believe. What I see is that when I see you on a day-to-day basis, I see Wayne on a weekly basis and, and you on a weekly basis, I see your spirituality because I see you interacting with people. I see you bringing your spirituality to the work that we all do. I see you bringing your spirituality into your personal interactions with people. And I don't mean that you're, you've got a little bag and you're bringing that. You're just because you've become that. You've become your spirituality. It's just who we all are, I think, if you are around here long enough. And for me, I, I continue to grow every day. I think that's a lifetime process. But you'd be amazed at the the general population that doesn't even think about that. I think I think the general population doesn't even think about this stuff. Wayne and I have been um, sort of pretending to be writers for quite a while now, <laughs> um, and we've actually written some things. One of the things that I I can remember Sheila telling me, mm-hmm. and when Sheila was around and we were working with her on on our creative writing was, uh, and I've since read it and seen it other places, but show me, don't tell me. And if you're writing a story, you're writing a scene of some kind or whatever it might be, it's about building an image in someone else's mind or just just show me. You don't need to, if, if you're embarking down the road of telling me, you're describing something that's sort of a third thing out here. That's right. That's not me being spiritual that's just me trying to win you over to my my way or it's trying to to put something out there that portrays me as something that inside I'm really not if I if if were true for me on the inside it would just be showing and you'd know it that's what I'm that's what I'm saying you carry it you just you just bring it with you for me I see it with Wayne uh, with his interaction with his wife that spirituality that, that he brings into that with his son. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see it with you. And I, my wife, uh, Julianne, is always so excited when you guys are going to come over. You're going to do the writing group. And I hear this laugh when I'm around when you guys are doing that. I hear the laughter and the love all there. That's all the spirituality that you bring yeah. because of who you are today. Being in in a program of recovery for me, you know, I'm, I'm might, I might jump off the path a little bit here, but I hear people talk about, quote unquote, the spiritual side of the program. Every time I hear that, I go, what, which distinct side are you talking about? Because it's <laughs> it all, it's, exactly. it is spirituality. It, exactly. There's no such thing as the spiritual side, you know, it's just, it's spirituality. And so you live in a spiritual life which has all sorts of benefits in terms of being able to navigate the world in a way that is no longer destructive and harmful. And I, you know, hopefully I do that. I don't, I try not to even be aware of doing it. 
Right. <laughs> because yeah. if I'm suddenly I've turned the sh- shine the light on me, it's kind of like seeing a you know a shooting star. You know, I never see those when I'm looking right. I never see one directly in my line of sight. That's it's right. Always it's always coming out here. Yeah. Peripheral vision. So it's really it's so clear and it's so ambiguous mm-hmm. all at the same time. I envision and experience my higher power in everything. As you said, other people don't even think about this. Before I came to recovery and before I stopped going, I went to church at 5.30 on Sunday afternoon. And when that hour was over, I'll see you next week. Hmm. And now I envision and I experience my higher power all the time be driving down the road as I do a lot and see a one little cloud in the sky mm-hmm. and the rest of you know the sky is a field of blue and there's this one little cloud and it's like hi God mm-hmm. and it's a lifelong journey and it's a road that I'm glad that I'm on and I'm glad that I'm on it for anybody who might be listening to this podcast mm-hmm. and who hadn't found that whatever that thing is <laughs> you know or is yeah, I guess we're always all searching, but for me, it started when I got here to AA, and I began to find recovery, and I began to feel a life that was full for me and wasn't boring and uh, joyful. And then I let spiritual spirituality kind of emerge in my own in my own thinking, and it's happened over a long period of time, and it's constantly changing. It's always growing. Um, I wanted what I saw everybody else seemed to have, but I didn't know how to get it. And so if you're just hearing this and you're looking for that thing, I'm, my advice is just hang on. Keep doing right. what you're doing. Don't look so hard. Pay attention to what other people do and do what other people suggest. And it'll come to you in your own, in its own time and in your own way. And you, you won't, it won't even be a flash. It'll just be something that you look, it's almost like, you can't see it unless you look backwards. I love that, Jim. I love every bit of that. And it really boils down to is love. Love of ourselves and love for our fellow human beings. When I have that, my spirituality is at full throttle. And I've heard that for, I've, I heard it for years. Mm-hmm. I did. It's all about love. And it was like, I just, that just didn't connect for me until it did. And then it became, it's all about love. I love that. Until it did. Uh-huh. It just, I got, I just had this warm feeling come over me when Tim was describing looking at the cloud and saying, Hi, God. Because tomorrow I pick up my mentally limited son, mm-hmm. which I do every other weekend. He lives in a, a home with other guys. And uh, that's probably one of the most spiritual times I ever have is when it's just Brian and I in the car. He's nonverbal. And when I'll direct, him or it particularly when there's a when the sky is interesting mm-hmm. when there's certain clouds or storm clouds or and I can and then we just ride and I can look over and he's so curious he's just so he's so he's just in it he's there, oh, gosh well, this is a god moment or mm-hmm. it's a uh, it's just watching him it's where he lives uh and not until he's back in his games or he does something mm-hmm. so to watch him and I I discovered that uh, in a beautiful trip up to Colorado and then down to New Mexico, you know, to Santa Fe, and where there's just no sky like that. Mm-hmm. And he, he and I, I'm, I'm surprised I didn't run, talk about running people off the road. <laughs> I mean, I had to pay attention. 
Yeah. And I had to like, okay, I'm actually looking, I can kind of see the white lines here. And, you know, I had, I had to pay attention, but, um, just so elevated. And that what brought up is I get to do that tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock. Mm-hmm. I'll pick him up and we'll talk about his, his week and then we'll just get quiet. He's been such a blessing for you, Henry. He has been. You miss him? That's a great qu- question. And I am so happy for him, uh, in terms of, it, it's not what I think of as missing him. Yeah, when I, I, there are things that I would still love to do, but I, I really can't because of my wife's situation. But And I would do. And if something was to change soon, I would probably do that because it's nothing like being in a car for me. Mm-hmm. I just, that's, I love that. So uh, I miss him, but since he's been in there and because we're, because he's so, because he's in that moment and they are so qualified to take care of him, much better qualified than I am. So, uh, yeah, I miss him, but you know, I don't think about him all the time. You know, he, he needs his life to be with his tribe. I've got my life with my tribe and I don't know how much time we never, none of us do. I consider it a blessing on the Sunday mornings when Brian is home at your home, his old home. And when he gets up and he comes in and you say good morning to him and we all share a wave for those of us that are on video, it just warms my heart. It is love. It is love. Yeah, it is. Thank you to Jim and Wayne. This has been really a a great time together. And thank you for leading us off today. I appreciate it so much. This has been a production of childrenofchaos.net, and we invite you to share your thoughts with us via email to comments at childrenofchaos.net. Children of Chaos is a forum to discuss topics related to and in concert with addiction and recovery in America, is not affiliated with, endorsed, or financed by any recovery or treatment program, organization, or institution. Any views, thoughts, or opinions expressed by an individual in this venue are solely that of the individual and do not reflect the views, policies, or position of any specific recovery-based entity or organization.